Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosso. It gives me great pleasure to welcome regular guest for What's Making News, Russell Hanby. Welcome again to Viewpoints, Russell. Thanks, Henry. How are you this week? Even better. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm better than that, yes. <laughs> well, we're all on a, all on a rise in, 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 in a climate, Russell, I must say, of where, where we're looking for news for this week. Um, unsurprisingly, all paths lead back to... COVID-19. But before we do that, um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about malaria. And uh, if my memory serves me correctly, I asked you to look something up. I don't know if it was homework or not, but whatever it was. Uh, do you recall that, that one? Um, yes, it came out of a report that, that there was a vaccine uh, that was going to target more than one protein oh, in the yes. in the parasite uh, that makes malaria to make more antibodies. And uh, you asked about, was there a vaccine really at the moment? Yep. So I had to look it up and... Uh, well, first of all, malaria is a protozoan uh, red blood cell infection uh, caused by a parasite and commonly by the Anopheles mosquitoes. That's uh, what uh, gives it to you. Uh, malaria vaccine, well, they've had various attempts at it. One is called Atavoquone uh, and uh, Proguami. Uh, they're just sort of chemical names or, or medical names. But they're, apparently there's no 100% effective vaccine. And so some are saying, well, without that, you can't really say we've got one. So there's uh, a bit of a debate on whether we've actually got a vaccine. So all we've got is this anti-malarial medication, and that can, in fact, be 90% effective. Well, it's a uh, lot however, better than nothing. Yes, but some drugs like uh, chloroquine uh, have lost the effectiveness as the parasite has, uh, has increased its resistance, which can happen. Now, the treatment, if you do get malaria, is just to increase the doses of these anti-malarial medication. Um, and... Uh, the anti-malaria tablets, that they kill the malaria parasites during their developmental stage in the liver and, and the red blood cells. So um, malaria symptoms can take up to 30 days to appear. So if you do go into a risk area, it's important to keep taking that medication uh, not long after you, you mm. leave it. Mm. So yeah. that's the thing. They're sort of they're getting onto vaccines, but at the moment they're still using the, uh, the old-fashioned anti-malaria medication. Mm, it, uh, it, it does raise the challenge of if and when we get a vaccine for COVID-19 because um, th there's uh, a lot of diseases for which uh, they're still trying to find a vaccine that is actually a vaccine that uh, prevents it at all. That's right, yes. It's one way to sort of help with the symptoms or to clear it out that, uh, after it happens, but uh, you want to prevent it from happening, don't you? You want an immunity to it. Yes, I can remember, and I've said this before, when I was a little boy, uh, not a little boy, uh, perhaps an eight or nine or ten-year-old rascal of a boy, my father always used to say to me, son, prevention is better than cure, before he meted out a punishment to me that <laughs> I was never too keen on. Uh, so, I don't know why. It took me a long time to learn that lesson as a kid. <laughs> That's right. It's like when they say, you know, it's going to hurt you more than it hurts uh, me, sort of, and you can, you know... Mm. Oh, I did it that hurts once. me more I... than it hurts you, oh. yeah. Oh, my like father that. said that to me once. He said, this is hurting me more than you, and I don't know yeah. why. It was a stupid no. moment, but I said to him, uh, then why are you doing it? <laughs> that, that went down like a lead balloon. Yes, that would improve your situation. <laughs> a lot. Yes. Oh, I thought there was some sort of logic to it, but uh, no, that didn't work, and I learned very... I learned a lot of lessons from my parents. <laughs> what about you, Russ? What was the lesson your folks taught you when you were young that you needed to learn? Um, I don't know, really. I think uh, being home by tea time, I think, was a, an important one when I was in those uh, growing up years. You know, they used to get very sloppy if you were late for dinner. 
Mm. Oh, yes, yes, I can remember another one too. Um, my dad used to say, <clears throat> I don't mind you using my tools, just put them back as he was searching through the garden yeah. for rusty spanners and hammers and saws and goodness knows what and uh, all of that sort of stuff more, on more than one occasion. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I've noticed things go through the ages and I suppose uh, that often you end up doing it yourself with your own children, don't you? Sometimes, oh, don't look, think. I remember that many times. I used to think, oh, I'm going, look, I'm going to do this, you know, when I was yeah. growing up. If I ever grow up and have kids, I'll be like this and I'll do that. And I don't know how many times... In different circumstances, the echoes of the past have That's just right. haunted me as I've opened my mouth in yeah. frustration when my kids were young. Because <laughs> when I tell you, you think, gee, they, it was just like him, I am copying him, you know. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. It, it, it shows you that I think human behaviour <clears throat> and, and the lessons and the, the process of growing up, uh, it's a timeless repetitious pro- repetition type of process. Now, getting on to, well, thank you for finding all that out about... Um, Malaria. Uh, have you ever had to take malaria pills? No, no, I've never been in an area where it's uh, likely to occur. Mm. You have, I think. Yes, you? yes, yes. On a couple of our trips overseas, there are places where you do have to take um, you have to take those tablets, and you do. You're right. You have to take them when you come back mm. for some time because it takes a while to come to, to, to show up. Now, um, the age, when will the numbers come down? Good question. Victoria recorded its highest single-day increase in new coronavirus cases since the start of the pandemic on, uh, on, on Thursday, the 7.25 new cases. Has that been updated, uh, Russell? Yes, we have 471, the latest figures, yesterday uh, on the Thursday. So... Uh, it's down a little bit, but it's still in a, in a pattern that's getting high. Uh, it's up and down. It's been doing that for several days now, hasn't it? Yes. Well, look, early in the week it was in the 400s. Then it shot up to 725. Those Thursday figures were Wednesdays. And, of course, the 400 and something uh, Thursdays figures. So what we're seeing at the moment is an unacceptably high pattern uh, of right. zigzagging up and down. But I think the bigger figure that's of concern is the number of cases, and this has been going on for some little time now, Russell, of where uh, they can't track the source. That's right, yes. Uh, that's the worry one. Uh, and uh, Deakin uh, University Epidemiology Chair Catherine Bennett said a large number of the, the, the large cases we had this week, the 725, were from known outbreaks in aged care centres. And she mm. says we... Uh, won't see any suppression of community transmission while the older outbreaks are still causing new cases. So it's still stemming, she says, from many of those uh, older cases. The daily case numbers will start to decline when we probably heard about this R value. Yeah, what is this R? People have been well, asking me about that. The R yeah, value. Well, uh, well, it stands for reproductive number, and uh, we want it to be less than one. Now, when it's below one, people are not infecting others, and the daily case numbers should start to decline. Now, currently, the R number is consistently above one. Not that much, but it means that the case numbers will keep increasing. It went from 1.75 at the start of July to 1.16 at the end of July. Now, an example would be, say an R was two. That means an infected person infects two others on average. So 1.16, which is the, say, start of August, means 10 people pass it on to 11 or 12. So clearly, it's, it's growing, isn't it? Mm, and of course, the bigger the base number, even if the R value is low, if 100 people 
at 1.1 are passing it on to 110 people, that's 110 people. You really want that number to drop because right. the, the baseload number is, is so high. That's right. Now, VAR stayed at the, uh, the higher figure of 1.75 at the beginning of July. Mm. Uh, all through the month, the Bernard Institute's modelling predicted numbers could have surged to 9,000 to 37,000 more cases a day. Hopefully, that R number will be reduced. Uh, but I just saw Mr Andrews at his press conference and he was asked about that uh, modelling and he said the federal and the state government don't know anything about it and he just couldn't comment on, on those figures. Mm, interesting, interesting news. Now, the next one, um, I'm surprised your suburb didn't come up in this leafy Fentry gully. <laughs> tell us why you're not in the top ten and tell us what the story is. Well, it's uh, walking the walk, according to the Herald Sun. Living in a walkable suburb, we're all walking now within our 5K for one hour a day, we know all about that, it is now a prized asset for Melbournians suffering stage four restrictions. The city's inner north is the home of the most walkable postcodes, according to Finder Analysis, revealing the best and worst suburbs to spend lockdown in. And uh, what they did, they had the criteria where... Um, if you could do essential errands without using a car and they had access to open space, tree cover, fresh food and health facilities nearby, that was a big plus. And so as a result of that, the, um, they found in the walkability index, Carlton and Fitzroy scored 98.5 and 98 out of 100. The RMIT professor of planning, Michael Buxton, said inner suburbs scored highly for their convenience, attractiveness and access to amenities. So as a result of that, scoring over 90 was South Melbourne, Collingwood, Richmond, Fitzroy North, St Kilda and South Yarra. They have a lot of historic buildings and streetscapes and parks. However, and the CBD and South Bank are good too. But at the other end, uh, Junction Village, not far from uh, the Cranbourne Studios, uh, it scored 13 to be Melbourne's least walkable postcode. They reckon it was poorly planned, has busy roads and you need to drive to go shopping. And uh, two other suburbs that scored poorly were Warrenwood and North uh, Warrandyte and Park Orchard. So that's, they sort of looked at, uh, you know, those criteria, whether, it's, whether you need a car to go anywhere and uh, whether there's lots of trees and parks and things. Mm, interesting. Um, I'm surprised that some of the places, I mean, we live in Wonturner South and uh, that's next to Vermont. Um, uh, it depends what you value and um, we're just five or six minutes from beautiful natural um, parklands um, with with lovely paths and they're quite uh, uh, free of smog and cars and noise and it's 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 actually bushland almost and so if you prefer that sort of a walk, um, yeah. that sort of tops it. It's a, it's a break from suburbia and the the outer eastern suburbs, as you know, have bushland walks, don't they? That's right. Well, we've got a wetlands area near a nice, mm. uh, easy walking distance. We're around here and do a circular walk. And, and of course, I'm not far from the Dandenong Ranges, which are well within my 5K radius, and I wanted to go up there. So they must be just looking at historic buildings and uh, sort of that sort of thing and uh, the ability of uh, having shops nearby, I guess. Mm, and those sort of services. So it, I guess it depends on what you like uh, to get out and about. But uh, um, we're all a bit restricted on that. When you take a short break, Russell, can you hold the line? Yes, certainly. Welcome back 
take the viewpoints listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosset. I'm in a little discussion with uh, Russell Hanby on What's Making News, our regular weekly segment. Welcome back, Russell. Thanks, Henry. Did you complete your virtual walk in the park while we took the break? Yes, I closed my eyes and I enjoyed it, really, yes. <laughs> you got a vivid <laughs> imagination. <laughs> uh, mind the gap fee parents according to the Herald Sun families ineligible for childcare permits during Melbourne's stage 4 lockdown will be given 30 extra days of absence to ensure that they're not hit with fees or have their enrolments cut uh, that's a welcome a welcome initiative Russell that's right uh, and the federal government has requested the centres waive their gap fee, but uh, parents groups have warned that uh, there's no guarantee they will. Uh, one operator said that uh, the high-cost inner-city ch- children uh, or the parents who can't access government rebates may still be out of pocket. And uh, Federal Education Minister Dan Tehan announced a $33 million rescue package aimed at ensuring the children stay enrolled. They're worried that kids will just be pulled out if the parents have to keep paying the daily fees, of course, if they're not going there. Uh, and uh, that's throughout lockdown, so the sector can remain viable if they've extended this, uh, this money uh, to pay for their fees. Of course, it doesn't cover the gap, but that's why they're hoping that uh, the gap will be waived. Most centres, uh, though, will experience less than 30% capacity or lower, as only the children this time of permitted workers and the vulnerable ones can attend childcare. I think in stage uh, the earlier stage of lockdown, any child that where the parents were working uh, could send them there. If providers waive the gap cost, parents who have to keep their children at home can do so without cost. Mm. So, uh, and to help a bit more the centres, the government will give a 5% top-up payments and additional funds if attendances are down to 30%, uh, so that uh, they reckon that they'll be able to maintain about 80% of the income that uh, the centres would get. Otherwise, the centres said many will just have to close. Mm, it's 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 worrying times. The parenthood boss um, Russell George Georgie Dent said there was considerable confusion because it's up to the discretion of individual providers to determine whether they will waive the gap fee, uh, and um, that's uh, that sort of flexibility does cause um, confusion and concern. But equally, if you don't have that flexibility, that causes other problems. So you're sort of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, really, aren't you? That's right. And of course, many of the restrictions we've seen already—they've changed uh, and toned in a bit on the, uh, the what they call permitted businesses, haven't they? As early as yes. this morning and last night, and we, and we knew it was work in progress. And in fact, they always said that. But when you bring in a scheme very quickly and it's got great ramifications, there's always going to be grey areas of which side of the line are we and all that, which they're finding now. Now, tell me, in talking about grey areas, how's your grey grey beard going? <laughs> Well, I try to keep it as short as I try to keep it as short as possible. You see, so it doesn't uh, show. Oh no, it's just a, it's a sign of what do they call it? Sophistication, is it, or something? I don't know. Wisdom, 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 my friend. Right. That'll do. You're yeah. a wise man. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've, oh, yeah fun- I used to have uh, jet black hair in my twenties, and. Uh, it's sort of gone back when I was about six or seven. I had white blonde hair and it changed to dark, and now nice. I'm back to how it originally was. Well, yeah. well, different. But funny how our hair changes colour or drops out, and women's never does. No, that's right. That's funny, yeah. though, isn't it? <laughs> Although the hairdresser's <laughs> been closed for six weeks, has put a bit of a kibosh on them. 
That's right. Everyone was rushing this week to get their last-minute haircut. I think you do if they can. Did you, were you, did you manage to get yours cut recently? Yeah, I got mine cut the other day. Um, yes, because it's six weeks before you can go back and get another haircut. Uh, yes. And I know, yeah, know a lot of people went there. Listen, I reckon on that topic, um, in a couple of weeks' time, you might see a shortage of self-colouring um, hair products in supermarkets and that because if hairdressers are closed and you can't get your hair tinted or coloured, um, you're going to have to get it uh, from the supermarket uh, or a pharmacist and do it yourself, won't you? Yes, well, my good wife has been cutting my hair for years now at home here. We've got the whole, we've got clippers and we've got uh, shaver trimmers and the whole works. For, and it's a buzz cut, of course, it makes it easy. Yeah. But, uh, but a lot of people will be uh, probably doing similar things, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, now we now that explains it all. Your wife's been cutting you back to size for all these that, years. That's right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, she's a pretty good hairdresser. She could because she, she does a good job with what she's got to do. Yeah, every six months I go to a, a, a proper hairdresser. You could say to get it to, you know, the shape sort of the. Oh, a few, few chunks in there. Yes, yes, it's amazing. I once did that when I was boarding at uni. Um, with some people in Geelong, the Johnsons, and poor old Mr Johnson didn't get to the hairdresser on Saturday morning and they were very devout people. They went to church on Sundays and they were very keen to uh, present and uh, his wife, Beth, didn't like him looking, you know, scruffy, as she called it, so he was in trouble because the the barber's closed. And he (laughs) said, uh, Henry, can you help me out? And I said, well, I've never cut hair, but I had a go at it. And, of course, what I did was terrible, hopeless, horrible. Uh, (laughs) I just, it's harder than you think if you haven't done it. Anyway, the end result was all he had was a flap of jagged (laughs) hair, white snowy hair. Between a good haircut and a bad haircut for a week. Shocking. Anyway, we're not... He went off to he went off to church with his wife uh, on the Sunday. Came back and they weren't talking because apparently he wouldn't take his hat off, which she saw oh. at the time as a mark of disrespect. Yeah, so Monday morning he also had to take time off from his work at the railways. <laughs> he lost money there, and uh, and he had to get it all shaved off. So <laughs> he, he, he was he had a good thick hair of head of um, lovely snow white hair and it was quite strange to see him looking like Yul Brynner for a couple of weeks <laughs> and, and he didn't talk to me for ages. No, I wonder why. Well, he shouldn't I have remember. asked me. <laughs> We're talking about our fathers earlier and that. I remember my father used to uh, do my hair when I was about six and he had yep. those hand clippers. Remember the hand clippers? Oh, my uh, dad used to do they, that too. And they used to pull. Did you find it? So he did, Shocking. He used to somehow... And I used to hate it. Every time he did it, he'd pull out the hair and, oh, no. no oh, and then, and, and then he'd, it was sort of like short back and sides, I remember. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'd go to school on the Monday and some of the older boys, they you know, we, you shouldn't do this, but they'd be teasing. They used to call me Basin Cut. <laughs> <laughs> remember the old base? They used to yeah, call them the basin, basin Cuts? Cut. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. God, they were the days, Russell. They were the days. Time is on the wing. We're nearly done and dusted. Um, let's move on. Yes, well, this is $50 million for Indigenous to tackle disadvantage. Almost $50 million will be put towards Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community-controlled services over the next four years, aiming to help end entrenched disadvantage among Indigenous Australians. And, yes, the federal government's going to partner with states and territories to help fund the organisations at the heart of the new Closing the Gap efforts to reduce inequality between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the wider community. 
and last week a national agreement was signed off to lift the proportion of Indigenous Australians completing secondary school to make it 96% in the next decade. And other aims are to reduce the number of Aboriginal and Torres Islanders uh, to uh, in detention by at least 30% mm, by 2031. The idea is that they want the Indigenous people to own, commit and drive their own and make their own decisions and uh, this is what they're trying to encourage. Well, and in fact, uh, included in that is the uh, provision for shared decision-making and mm, structural reform. Mm, mm. You've got to support them with the processes and the training, but yes... Uh, if you've got some ownership over the decisions, uh, you've got a vested interest in, in it succeeding and uh, that that's certainly a very worthwhile initiative to address an issue that's been with us for far too long. The odd spot, now this is a real one, Russell. I haven't concocted this one and slipped it in. It was in the paper. Okay, yes, it was. I read it. Make sure that he's not playing funny games again. <laughs> <laughs> a, a Bavarian brewery has had to stop making beer after a family of storks made themselves at home in one of the chimneys. The Bird's Nest building brought production at the Zwangzer Brewery to a grinding halt back in March. The brewery had planned to wait until the nest was completed and then lift it off the chimney, but then Germany went into lockdown. The baby storks have since hatched and the brewery hopes to move the nest next week. So I suppose then they'll have uh, flown the cooper. Flown the coop. Wow. My and I get it. goodness, Cooper, you're, Cooper. Turning, you're, you're, you're getting all poetic now. Well, I, yeah, flown, yeah, flown the Cooper. You know what a Cooper is? A person who makes barrels. Is it really? Yeah, like wine barrels, actually. And oh. so when I said flying the Cooper, it was funny, but you didn't get it, so it went over your head, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or under my feet. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, that one went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> you know that one? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we should have a, we should come up with our funniest comments next week. I, su- I suppose it's true of all jokes. If the other person doesn't get the double meaning or whatever, it's uh, not much good, is it? <laughs> not much. You should have checked it out with me first and I would have just um, faked it and given you praise instead of, you know, make myself look ignorant and you telling flat jokes. We're going to have to get our act together better than this, Russell Hanby. Well, I think we might have to. We'll, yeah. we'll have to talk yeah. before the program next week. <laughs> yeah, run the jokes past each other. Yeah. <laughs> Before, Anne. Okay, well, look, and you take care. What is it? Take care and stay safe? That's right. I think so, yes. And and uh, what do they say? Uh, stay apart to be together or something? Beg your pardon? What, what's that? What, shouldn't have, you shouldn't have run that one past me before. No, Russell. we might forget that. Yeah. <laughs> forget that one. We'll cut yeah. that one out, listeners. Yeah, now, we'll be we'll be we'll be in sync next week, listeners. We'll be like That's a right. well-oiled machine, won't we? <laughs> we will. <laughs> Take care. That was Russell Hanby, listeners. We're finished with our nonsense and our new, nonsense and news. I think that could be a new title for what's making news. Yes, nonsense and news. I'll run that one by Russell. And uh, when we come back next week, listeners, it'll either be what's making news or nonsense and news. You take care. Take care and stay safe.